well, well, here we are. It's time for another edition of Jonesing for Football. And this is unlike any other edition of Jonesing for Football because this is Championship Sunday, the conference championship games, and the much-anticipated matchup between the Philadelphia Eagles and the San Francisco 49ers. (laughs) Bill Jones along with Cody Winstead. I'm in Dallas where the morning continues. And look at the smile on young Cody's face because he is just rubbing his hands together in jubilation after the demolition of the New York football giants last week. He is one win away from the Super Bowl. Yes, the Philadelphia Eagles just have to take care of the San Francisco 49ers. How you doing, young Cody? Good to be with you, Bill Jones, as always. Yep. Philly, it's a hot spot. Everyone in the city. It's really funny, Bill Jones. You you kind of get this same thing in Dallas. The same people who were really worried and concerned about the Giants last week have completely shifted their opinion on the Eagles. Now they're certain they're going to beat the Niners, and they're certain they're going to beat the Bengals in the Super Bowl, right? Isn't that amazing? You know, the same story played out last week, as you're alluding to, here in Dallas. Yep. Everyone was concerned about all those Dak Prescott interceptions, and then he played the greatest game of his life at Tampa Bay with four touchdown passes, a running touchdown, no picks, and we're going to run the table. And they ran into San Francisco, the hottest team in the league, by the way, with 12 straight wins. Yep, and held them to 12 points. What do you know about that? (laughs) You should always factor in who your team is actually playing. You know, like that's kind of smart when looking at a football game. It's not just if your team plays well the week before, it's still important on who they're playing this week when evaluating football. Well, they were playing the GOAT the week before, Tom Brady. And then this week they were playing Mr. Irrelevant, Brock Purdy. And so, of course, they're going to beat San Francisco, young Cody. Yeah, right. They played an eight and nine Tampa team, and then they played a team that had won 11 in a row. So, yeah, there, there is a little bit of difference there for the record. But, but, but just imagine if that last play would have worked. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how many times, Bill Jones, I'm interested in this. How many times have you gone back and watched that play to kind of figure out what the hell were they trying to do there? <laughs> I can't bear to watch it. Really? I've got, I've watched it at least. I can't bear times. to watch Zeke get blown up like that. I know. What is the Zeke factor? See, I, I, we talked about this before the show and there's part of me that wonders if the play would have worked, would it have revolutionized the sport of football? Maybe every play going forward would have like three passes and linemen lined up on the outside. We'll never know, but there's part of me that wonders. I, you know, I actually thought at the time they were lining up, I thought they strangely picked this opportunity to do a tribute to Mike Leach because oh, that was a formation that Mike Leach has used. I'm not sure that he put his running back at center, but it was the ninja formation, which I first saw in 1999 when Mike Leach was the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma. That was the game, mind you, where Leach left a fake play call sheet he, like he dropped it coming out of pregame warmups in front of the Texas bench, okay? And a Texas GA found it. And at the beginning of the game, the, the, the Texas coaching staff 
thought they had the play sheet <laughs> for the OU offense in that game. And OU, they ran out to a 21 to nothing lead in that game because the Texas defense was so confused <laughs> because nothing that was on this play sheet. Finally, they ripped up the play sheet at the end of the first quarter down 21 to nothing. But Leach came out in that game in that ninja formation with two offensive linemen out wide. I mean, I thought it was a tribute to Leach, but as it turned out, anyway. Yeah, part wow. of me thought Zeke was going to get the flip from Turpin, and then it, maybe it was Dak, <laughs> and then I just have no clue what was. was right. It. All right, but enough of that. That was that's history. That. Get oh, out we're of on here. to next year, and we are on to the championship Sunday and what great matchups we have. And young Cody, I think you just look back at the season and especially the last half of the season, and there is no question the four best teams in the NFL are playing this weekend. All right. Why don't we do our favorite game, Bill Jones? How about you? Uh, Give us your favorite game of uh, the weekend, and I'll let you handle the AFC. How about that? (laughs) Wait a second. I thought it was my choice what my favorite game is. No, Um, wait a second. You sitting there in Philadelphia have made the executive decision that my favorite game all of a sudden is the AFC game. It wouldn't be right if you did the NFC game, Bill Jones. (laughs) No, no. Well, you know, I, I, I actually agree with you because actually Dallas is represented in the AFC championship game because the Kansas City Chiefs, originally the Dallas Texans, are in the AFC championship game for the fifth straight year. So that is our, our claim to fame here in Dallas is now the fact that Patrick Mahomes lives here Got a home just down the road here from me, and even though he works in Kansas City, and the Dallas Texans are once again in a conference championship game, playing against Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals, and I was texting you on Sunday. I cannot believe last week on this show, I picked Buffalo to beat Cincinnati, and the only reason that I did was because at that time when we taped the show last week, I was swayed by the fact that Jonah Williams, the left tackle, is out. They've got three injuries on their offensive line. Okay, Buffalo, and with what's all is going on with the Bills, they seem to be Destiny's team now, and so I got caught up in that. When actually, I've thought ever since Cincinnati beat Kansas City back in December that Cincinnati's the best team in the AFC, and Cincinnati's going back to the Super Bowl, and nothing has happened to change my mind on that since then. And so here we are, Cincinnati against Kansas City. And by the way, you talk about hot teams. How about the Cincinnati Bengals? Much like the San Francisco 49ers. San Francisco started the season three and four, and then uh, and they actually lost to Kansas City right after the Christian McCaffrey trade to fall to three and four. And now they've won 12 straight games, and they've done it with a rookie quarterback. Well, you go back and look at the Cincinnati season, and at one point of the season, second game week of the year, they came to Dallas and lost to the Cowboys, but that was in route to starting the season four and four. So basically the first half of the year, they're a 500 team, and since then, they have run the table. They are 14 and four uh, on the season now, and uh, so here they are. They are riding a 10-game win streak into this game against Kansas City. It was on December 4th. They played Kansas City in Cincinnati, and they won 27-24. And I project uh, the same kind of game this week. Of course, the the big story in Kansas City is Patrick Mahomes' ankle. But I think the big story 
in this game and in these playoffs and in this season is Joe Burrow. And I think he is playing like the best quarterback in the league. And for me, there's no reason to think that won't continue against Kansas City on Sunday. Dr. Jones, how interesting is it that Patrick Mahomes, as a starting quarterback in the NFL, is 64-16 and in his career, but he's 0-3 against Joe Burrow? How interesting do you find that? And that's very interesting, especially if he goes 0-4 against Joe Burrow on Sunday on his home field. This is going to be a great game. Yep. And, and as much as I say, I think that Burrow and, and Cincinnati are going to go in there and win the game, I factor in Mahomes' ankle into the, that equation. But, I mean, let's face it, it was a 27-24 game in Cincinnati in December. And so you, you can – Probably look back at that game, change one play in that game, and the score comes out a reversal of that. And, and I think it's going to be one of those games, a classic game, just like we saw last year, just like we've seen the virtually every year yep. uh, we're in Kansas City in the conference championship game. It's going to be uh, one of those games that you want to go back and watch it immediately uh, with a fantastic finish one way or the other. I mean, it's just amazing, though, on the Kansas City side, just how much they target Travis Kelsey. I mean, he had 17 targets in the game against Jacksonville last week. And on the season, Kelsey is about 150 targets, I think, on the year. I mean, he's so much a part of that Kansas City offense. And, and I love what they have done with uh, Pacheco, uh, what he adds to that offense. I mean, he, he has added a Tyreek Hill-type element to the offense as far as his uh, playmaking, game-breaking type speed and, and uh, uh, playmaking ability. So, I mean, there are, there are, there are star power at uh, the skill positions on both sides of the football, which just makes this a fascinating game. I actually just like Kansas City. I was a little interested to see this season how the loss of Tyreek Hill would impact not only Mahomes, but obviously that Chiefs uh, offense. And it's just amazing that they just filled in with some other pieces, Juju, and then they went MBS, and some guy named Noah Gray is now a player. And all of a sudden, you know, they're still fine. You know, it's a little bit different. It's not quite as big play centric as it was, but the Chiefs are going to be fine. And it makes you know that Mahomes is going to be in these conference championship games for the next 10 years, because no matter what pieces you put around him, He's going to be great, and they're going to be great, as long as they've got the two keys, which is Mahomes and Andy Reid. And, and by the way, Mahomes, the numbers on the season, in case uh, people have forgotten, on the regular season, he passed for 5,250 yards in 17 games. They go 14-3, and three, 41 touchdowns. He did throw 12 picks. And so you're thinking here in Dallas, well, wait a second, Dak threw 15 picks? But he wasn't near 41 touchdowns, and he missed five games. I was going to say, yeah, and he played five less games. And, Mahomes, right. and Burrow also has 12 interceptions in the regular season, 35 touchdowns, and ran for five touchdowns himself. Sacked 41 times, and so that speaks to that uh, the toughness that Burrow has after being sacked 51 times last year and is still able to maneuver enough in the pocket to uh, buy time to find an open man even with a weakened offensive line in front of him. 
Are we going to make our picks on this game at the end, right? We're saving our picks? All right, we'll save it to the end. I think All I've right. tipped my hand, though, and maybe you have also. Yeah, I think so. All right, here we go. Um, so you took the AFC championship game, so I'm pretty sure you can guess my favorite game. That's right. Uh, it's the NFC game, Niners-Eagles fired up for Sunday afternoon. I'll be there working for NFL Network. Went back and looked it up. It's actually my ninth Philly game this year that I've covered. My third time seeing San Francisco. So very familiar with both sides. What's Philadelphia's record when you attend the game? Seven and one. And then the ninth game will be this week. So the Eagles. Pretty good when I'm in the house. Uh, When looking at these two teams, Bill Jones, I think they have the best two rosters in the league both with six all pros, the Niners, four on the first team, two on the second team. The Eagles have two first teamers and four second teamers. They're both top five offensively and defensively in yardage. To me, it's really just a couple all-star teams going toe-to-toe for a spot in the Super Bowl. One thing I think is important, both squads – play this modern style of football extremely well, which is create big plays offensively and limit big plays defensively. The Eagles high-powered offense, number one in explosives this year, top 10 in preventing them. The Niners offense is number seven in chunk plays, and their defense has allowed the fewest big plays in the entire league. So I used to work with Brian Billick, the Super Bowl winning head coach when he was with the Ravens. And he always used to talk about the importance of the explosive differential. And I think that's going to be a very big key this week here in Philly. It's interesting. uh, Both those teams. I mean, they are, you talk about tough teams that are, are seasoned for a game like this. And obviously the, the way the Eagles have, uh, well, both, both teams in, in this respect too, the way the general managers have uh, worked their roster to improve the roster, not only since the end of last season, but as the season has gone along, has been nothing short of remarkable. Uh, and, and why uh, these two teams are where they are right now. I mean, it's obvious what we've, we've talked all year about what Philadelphia has done. And then it's clear after the McCaffrey trade, and even you go back to the drafting of Brock Purdy, uh, and understanding the value that he had as a guy who was a four-year starter at Iowa State and as a guy that, okay, yeah, we'll take him in the seventh round. Let's see what we can do with him. And as a developmental guy, and he just developed so quickly that he's uh, playing at this high a level in these high-pressure games. I think even you go back to the, to the AFC, too, and they've done a tremendous job as well, those GMs, of getting those teams in, in position. It, it's that value of going all the way back to March when the rosters are put together through the draft, through the season, and using the rules that are now in place uh, with the practice squad and stuff to have your team be able to perform its best at the end of the season. Yep. You make a good point on the GMs there. John Lynch and Howie Roseman both pushed all their chips into the middle. That's 100% the case. McCaffrey, the Niners traded a ton of picks to get him. Some thought they overpaid, and now here they are. They're on the, on the verge of the Super Bowl. Go ahead. All right, how, about, how about this, though, on the McCaffrey trade? They gave up a second, third, fourth, and fifth, okay? 
But think about what they have gotten back from the NFL in compensatory picks. And in fact, just here in the last couple of weeks, Rand Carthon, one of their executives, was hired as the general manager of the Tennessee Titans. They are getting two third-round compensatory picks because of the minority hiring of Rand Carthon. And so basically the third and fourth round picks, essentially, that they gave up to Carolina, they're getting them back for that. And then uh, the McDaniel hiring by Miami was another one where they got two third round compensatory picks for that. And even going back to Robert Sala, he qualified too when he was hired by the Jets and they picked up two more for that too. No, that's a great point. Um, and the Eagles, the Eagles have been fairly healthy most of the year, but they did have some defensive line troubles. And Dominican Sue comes in, Len Bell Joseph comes in, and the Eagles D-line is has been great all year, partially because of those guys as well. It's going to be a knockdown, drag out slug fest on Sunday afternoon. You're exactly right. How about an individual matchup, Bill Jones? What you uh, paying attention to in this one? Do I have to stick with the AFC or can I go all over the place? You can go wherever you want. I'll stick with the AFC because I have a feeling you're sticking with the NFC for your individual matchup. I am. Okay. I'll, I think you got to go with uh, an individual matchup in the trenches and Kansas City with Chris Jones with 15 and a half sacks against an offensive line that is hurting right now. The three guys that are down, uh, Lyle Collins was lost for the season at right tackle. Hakeem Adeniji is uh, filling in for him, had five pressures given up in the game the other day at right tackle. Jonah Williams on the other side, Jackson Carmen is filling in for him. Only played three games, got into three games during the regular season. Second round pick out of Clemson. And then inside, Ted Karras is playing center. He's battling a knee injury right now. And they lost Alex Kappa, who is a big free agent signing from Tampa Bay. And so at the guard position. And so they are depleted there at guard. They've got a fourth rounder, Cordell Volson, who has started throughout the year uh, at the left guard position, a rookie. So pressure. So I'll take those three guys on the inside battling Chris Jones, uh, Cordell Volson at left guard, the rookie. Uh, you've got uh, uh, Ted Karras, almost said Alex Karras, <laughs> Ted Karras at center, and then uh, the right guard as well, at Max Sharping, who uh, is a journeyman who actually did start for uh, 11 games for Houston last year, but had not started a game until the postseason with Kappa going down. Uh, the pressure is most definitely on them trying to keep uh, Joe Burrow protected with uh, highlighted by Chris Jones on the defensive line. But they've got a number of players, including their linebackers at Kansas City, who have multiple sacks on the season. And so the pressure is going to be on the entire Cincinnati offensive line. I think they benefited greatly from the snowy conditions in Buffalo last week. That was the equalizer. Uh, where the Buffalo pass rush, without the ability to get any traction for their pass rush, uh, neutralized things last week. Uh, I haven't looked at a weather forecast for Kansas City, but I'm going to assume if it doesn't snow, it's going to be a lot more difficult for uh, the Bengals offensive line this week. I did look at the weather forecast, Bill Jones, uh, 25 degrees but sun, so no snow expected in KC right now on uh, Sunday. And I think you make a good point. The Bengals line did a great job. I think Joe Burrow was not under pressure at all from what I saw. Just one sack for Buffalo last week. 
I would guess they'll probably do a good job as well this week. We also know Joe Burrow's used to getting hit and sacked and still winning games. You know, that's the other thing. How many was it last year? Nine maybe against um, Tennessee, and they still won the playoff game. Burrow was sacked, so he can uh, overcome that. To All right, so what's your individual matchup? Yep, let me give you mine. Kind of like your game, so many choices in this NFC game, multiple along the O-line and D-line, multiple among the skill players, receivers, secondary. But I'm taking the best linebacker in the league, Fred Warner versus the man who should be the NFL MVP, and that is Jalen Hurts. Warner is the total package, speed, athleticism, toughness, leadership, and perfect to combat these new age offenses, big enough to take on offensive linemen, fast enough to track down backs, and good enough in pass coverage to defend not only guys out of the backfield, but also wide receivers, including last week, Bill Jones, when Warner was covering C.D. Lamb, who was streaking down the center of the field. Dr. Jones, did you see that 230-pound linebacker going step for step with your wide receiver one yes i'm very impressed with the one fred warner who by the way was featured prominently in the big green nfl draft scouting notebook when he came out of byu several years ago i might add i like that i like that uh warner been in the league five years over 115 tackles each season a two-time all pro two-time pro bowler and I'd argue the most important piece in the league's top defense. As for Hertz, again, to me, he's hands down the league MVP. 15-1 and one as a starter, the first player in Super Bowl era to rank top five in passer rating and rushing touchdowns in the same season. Despite missing two games, he finished the year with 35 total touchdowns, just eight giveaways an incredible command of the offense, and an ability to beat you with his legs or his arm, however the defense plays it. Interesting, I went back, Bill Jones. The Eagles have thrown for over 300 yards five times this season. They've also rushed for over 200 yards five times this season. So defenses have to pick their poison, and Hurts is the key to it all. His biggest area of improvement, though, is his accuracy. 61% completion percentage last year, up to 67 this year. And his deep ball in particular, I thought this was interesting last night when doing some research. His uh, passer rating on deep balls, 112 this year, just 51 last year. So Jalen Hurts versus Fred Warner, it doesn't get much better than that as far as an individual matchup. All right. I I love the fact that you cited Fred Warner because what struck me more than anything from the, from the Eagles giants game was the way that Nick Sirianni and that Eagles offense, they, with personnel packages, they made sure that the middle linebacker was on the field for the New York giants in that game. And that's Jalen Smith, nothing against Jalen Smith, but he is not (laughs) There's a reason that Jalen Smith was let go by Dallas and not and wasn't picked up by any teams. It's a credit to him that this year he has been able to not only get picked up by the Giants, make their roster, but has been starting games for them. But they are so depleted at the linebacker position, 
They signed a player off the Lions practice squad last week, Jared Davis, an inside linebacker. Here's what, here's what the Eagles did during the regular season. During that 48-22 to 22 win over the Giants, I went back and looked at the snap count for Jalen Smith. He was on the field 84% of the time in that game. And that's dictated by personnel packages, two tight ends that the Eagles have on the field at, at all times to make sure that they've got their base defense on the field and, and, and Jalen Smith being out there. Other games to close out the season, Jalen Smith would, was only on the field 40 to 45% of the time. In this playoff game, a 38 to 7 Eagles win, Jalen Smith was on the field 90% of the time. One of the key strategies that the Eagles had in that game was making sure that the Giants had their base defense on the field because they love that matchup. Now, contrast it to this week, you can make a great case that Fred Warner is the best linebacker in the league. In fact, Kyle Shanahan on Monday was talking about Fred Warner comparing his overall three-down playmaking ability as a middle linebacker in this league. He compared him to Luke Keekley. I I love the fact he threw out the name Sean Lee. He threw out uh, Bobby Wagner. I mean, you can look at the, over the last decade, two decades in the league, Fred Warner is as good as anybody who's played that linebacker position in this new era of NFL football. Yep, completely agree. Um, and interesting research there on Jalen Smith. I, I hadn't thought of that. But uh, Warner, obviously a stud, and probably not the best against the run. Still good, probably not the best. But I would say the best in the passing game and his ability to run up the middle of the field. Again, we saw it on that. And season. that's why Shanahan was talking about comparing him with Keekley and, and Sean Lee uh, is their ability to cover the pass as well as the run. All right. So we've got pressures on. I, I've already mentioned that the pressure is on the Cincinnati offensive line as part of my individual matchup. But the true pressure in this game, Kansas City and Cincinnati. I'm going to put it on the shoulders of the Kansas City quarterback playing hurt, yeah, playing with the ankle injury. Or Chad Hennon. It could be Chad pressure on. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Or maybe, maybe the third quarterback, Babe Loffenberg's guy, Shane Bouchelle, is active for this game. Oh wow! He pulls a Brock Purdy, and as the third quarterback comes in and leads him to the Super Bowl, I know Babe Loffenberg fully believes. That in a situation, if given that opportunity, Shane Bouchelle could be the Brock Purdy of that draft that he was in. Uh, but Mahomes, the pressure's on Mahomes. It's funny because he's now the veteran guy. Yep. <laughs> Five straight AFC championship games, and he's only got one Super Bowl win to show for it. And uh, He got beat last year in the championship game by Joe Burrow, and so the pressure's on He's 0-3, lifetime against Joe Burrow, in a short lifetime against Joe Burrow. Uh, So all of a sudden, the pressure's on Mahomes. 27 years old, and you're the oldest quarterback remaining. That's pretty amazing. Bill Jones, question for you. How much do you think he'll be limited by that high ankle sprain? Because obviously, it looked significant on Sunday and really prevented him from kind of getting outside the pocket and, and a lot of those magical plays that we're used to him doing and seeing. Do you believe Andy Reid? Andy Reid says that it's not as bad as the previous ankle injuries had, so he, he should be just fine, shouldn't he? Do you think he'll be able to get out, the, out of the pocket and use some of his mobility? 
I don't know, but I know he's had great training in that respect. There's a uh, Bobby Strope, who's uh, based here in Dallas. Actually, I think he's he's semi-based in Kansas City now because he's Patrick Mahomes' trainer. But uh, Strope uh, had APEC uh, training in Fort Worth. He's actually originally from Tyler, and he's trained uh, many NFL quarterbacks, college quarterbacks, their off-season training uh, at Major League Baseball players as well. Trevor Story's one of his uh, clients. That's why Mahomes lives here in the offseason. He trains there. And Strope, he's very active on Twitter. I suggest you follow him. Uh, he has been vocal that Mahomes will adapt. He'll figure, I mean, that's all part of the training that he has been doing ever since he trained him back in Tyler uh, when Mahomes was growing up. And uh, so he knows Mahomes as well as anyone. And he knows the makeup of Mahomes, that if there is any way that he can get that ankle to a spot and, and be able to adapt, adjust his body, his contortions, you know, uh, given play, he's been trained to handle that. And so I, I think he'll, he'll be able to play and be able to play effectively against Cincinnati. One thing to keep in mind, again, we know he's great outside the pocket. That's where we see the flips or the left-handed throws and the behind the back, you know, all the no-look passes. He's also number one inside the pocket in pretty much every statistical category, too. So it, it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. He's good, he's good in the pocket. All right, Bill Jones, uh, pressure's on. It's the Niners O-line versus the Eagles pass rush. Technically, pressure's on both offensive lines as they face elite pass rushes. But I think there's a little more pressure on the 49ers O-line. That's because they've got to keep. Brock Purdy clean, which is easier said than done going against Philly. I've mentioned on a previous pod, but it's worth stressing again. The Eagles led the NFL in sacks with 70, a franchise record, and the most by any team in a single season since 1989. They're also the first team in NFL history to have four players with double-figure sacks. Hassan Reddick, 17 and a half. Josh Sweat, 12 and a half. Brandon Graham, 12. Javon Hargrave, 11. And what's more wild than that, the Birds also have Fletcher Cox and Indomitian Sue and Lenville Joseph and rookie Jordan Davis on the defensive line. Did you mention Milton Williams from Crowley, I Texas? Not. I love Milton Williams, and so did the Big Green Notebook, but go ahead. You can mention him. So that's seven current or former Pro Bowls on their defensive line alone. The 49ers O-line has allowed the sixth fewest sacks this season, but going back over Purdy's game log, he's only been sacked 11 times in his seven starts, and that's a huge reason why he's only turned it over twice during his little personal seven-game winning streak that he's on. One thing we know for certain, if Purdy's running for his life, San Francisco has no shot at winning this game. So the pressure's on the Niners O-line to keep their pressure off their quarterback. I love it. Very good. All right, which brings us to the bold predictions. Bill Jones, let's start. Let's here. Let's start with the uh, Niners and Eagles. Which direction you going? Well, I'm also kicking myself for not picking the Niners to beat the Cowboys last week. <laughs> <laughs> Truth be told, if not for my affiliation with the Cowboys, I probably would have picked the Niners, and so. Um, you know, the other thing we haven't mentioned is the previous matchup between Brock Purdy and Jalen Hurts. You are aware of that one, right? I am. Yes, sir. In college. Yep. 
I always state it's been a bugaboo for the Oklahoma Sooners. And in 2019, I believe it was, they faced off in Norman, Oklahoma, and Jalen Hurts and the Sooners got out to a three-touchdown lead in the first half of that game. And in fact, it was a 42-21 to 21 lead for Oklahoma going into the third quarter. And then Brock Purdy ripped apart Alex Grinch's defense, former Ohio State defensive coordinator, wow. Alex Grinch. He was there for one year. They figured out what he was about, and they got rid of him and wound up with Lincoln Riley at OU. And so we were victimized. Brock Purdy victimized that defense for three touchdowns, wound up losing the game 42-41. I believe they went for two at the end of the game and did not, and came up short. And so that's how classic that game was. And Purdy threw for five touchdowns in that game. Hurts had a big game as well. And uh, so maybe we'll have the same kind of game this time uh, in uh, hostile surroundings for Brock Purdy. All of that to say, Purdy's been on the big stage before. Purdy going back to high school in Arizona. And I mentioned Arizona. Where's the Super Bowl being played? Ooh, Glendale. This is the storyline here. Brock Purdy, in his time as an NFL starter, he's really he's only had a couple of road games. Seattle can get really loud. That was one of them. And he won in overtime at Vegas. Otherwise, he's basically been at home playing games. Mm-hmm. He's so now he's got to go to Philadelphia. But the storyline is going to override that. And Brock Purdy and the San Francisco 49ers are going to go into Philadelphia. And the story of the Super Bowl is Mr. Irrelevant coming home to Phoenix to lead his team into the Super Bowl. That's, that's- San Francisco wins this game. Let's make it 24-23. 49ers. Okay. Okay. Um, I'll take Philly in a close game. Um, give me some, give me 24-21. So very similar score here, Bill Jones. We're dealing with two good offenses and two good defenses. If this happens, Dr. Jones, you do realize that it makes my preseason prediction of the Eagles going to the Super Bowl correct. I first <laughs> mentioned it. Back on June 2nd, Bill Jones, and it's about to come true. Philly wins on Sunday, and then they fly to Arizona for Super Bowl 57. All right, Bengals Chiefs, and I've already tipped my hand on that. And uh, I've thought ever since I saw this matchup, a 27-24 Cincinnati win in Cincinnati, that the Bengals are the best team in the AFC, and I will stand by it despite their injuries on their offensive line. Joe Burrow and the Bengals go into Kansas City and win again. Let's see. I'm going to go. Oh, what a classic game this is going to (laughs) be. What a classic game. Let's go 34-31 Cincinnati over Kansas City. Uh, I think these are two. Equally talented teams. Obviously, the Bengals have won three straight versus KC, we mentioned. All by three points. I know everybody has taken the Bengals. I'm going the opposite direction, though, Bill Jones. (laughs) Give me Mahomes. Give me the Chiefs. And I'm going to pick the score 27-24 because that has been the score the last two times they've met. But this time, Kansas City's coming out on top. 
And you just picked the better storyline. You think so? Andy Reid versus Philadelphia there you in go. the Super Bowl. It's going to be amazing. Is that a better storyline than Brock Purdy? Yes, going home? very much so. I can't wait, Bill Jones. You might have you might have swayed my opinion. I might have to go with Kansas City, Philadelphia now, just because of the Andy Reid versus Philadelphia storyline. I know that's why you picked San Francisco. So yeah, yeah, you got to switch both your picks up. Just (laughs) see, Bill Jones. I don't. How do you feel? Because at this time of the year, this is like the first week of the season that I'm like, dang, it's almost over. Mm -hmm. We're about to go into the off season. It's not almost over. It is just beginning because you know what happens next week is I go to Staples and I buy a big green notebook and I sit down and I watch the senior bowl workouts and it's time to kick off NFL draft season 2023. Yeah, we know that's our favorite part. That's why this podcast was invented basically. So we're almost to ours, <laughs> our regular season. That's exactly right. This has been the preseason. That's true. For the real season, yeah. which is NFL draft season. I can't wait. All right, Bill Jones, it's been fun, man. All right, we'll meet again next week. Review what happened to the conference championship game and preview the Senior Bowl here on Jonesing for Football. See you later, Babe Lothenberg.